Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my dear fellow redeemed. You can tell a lot about a person based on what they're wearing on their head. If someone's wearing a firm yellow hat that makes an echoey noise when you knock on it, it's pretty safe to assume that they're working in construction or they're doing a job in which they need to protect their head. Or maybe you see a person who's got one of those square black caps with a tassel pulled over to the side. It's safe to assume that they've probably just graduated from high school or college, some level of higher education. Or if a person's wearing a hat with a logo on the top and a bill that covers their eyes from the sun, they're probably a baseball player, especially if you see them with a glove in one hand, feet in the dirt, staring at someone who's holding a bat. What we wear on our heads can tell us a lot about a person. That raises the question, what does a Christian wear on their head? Now physically, we might wear hard hats, graduation caps with a tassel, baseball caps. But what about our spiritual headwear? Today we're going to be listening to the words of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. In these verses, Paul encourages Timothy to put on a special spiritual cap as a pastor. But this message is more than just for Timothy or pastors. It's for all Christians. Dear fellow redeemed, put on your preaching caps as you speak God's word confidently, accurately, and patiently. The last will and testament of the deceased, when that is read out loud, it can be a powerful and sometimes a nerve-wracking experience. What a person says in their will, it shows a lot about what they thought of their friends and family while they were still alive. There are some stories of spouses taking one final jab from the grave. William Shakespeare famously gave his wife his second best bed in his will. There are other stories when apparent strangers received vast sums of money. There was an oligarch who picked 70 random names out of a phone book and left all his inheritance to those random strangers. Second Timothy serves as a sort of last will and testament from the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words specifically addressing Timothy, though they're meant for our ears as well. In this book... Paul showed his care for Timothy. Previously, he had called Timothy, my dear son. Previously, he told Timothy, I thank my God as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. This last will and testament would leave no doubt about Paul's fond feelings for his fellow worker in God's harvest field. But, of course, there would be no last will and testament if death wasn't on the horizon. Paul was once again in prison, and though he had been in prison many times, always to be released, Paul seemed to sense that this time things were going to end a little bit different. Paul speaks later in this letter, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. As the time for his departure drew near, Paul wrote up a last will and testament to give to 
his young co-pastor Timothy. He didn't leave Timothy with vast wealth, a fancy car, a luxurious house. Instead, Paul left Timothy with one final charge. Paul said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. On the one hand, this couldn't be a simpler request, preach the word, just three words. On the other hand, this was a difficult charge Paul was giving to Timothy. Preaching the word, that's what Paul had been doing. And now he was in prison. Soon he would meet his own death. How could Timothy be confident as he preached God's word, especially when by doing so, he knew he may have a similar fate to the Apostle Paul? To give Timothy a confidence boost so that Timothy could be confident and bold as he preached God's word, Paul pointed Timothy back to Timothy's beginning in his life of faith. Timothy had known the Lord since he was an infant. Paul makes reference to this in verse 15 of chapter 3. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy continued to grow in this knowledge and continued to grow in his trust in the Lord as he grew stronger and stronger in God and in his word. Timothy could confidently preach the word to others because he had already seen the impact the word had had, the word had, had on his own life. The proof is in the pudding for our lives as well. We were once living apart from God. We were rightly... We would have rightly been judged by the one who will judge the living and the dead. We were living apart from God and deserved punishment. But then we heard the word. We heard that message about Jesus. Jesus, he came to preach the good news. In our gospel lesson, he had said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus came to preach the good news, and in fact, he was the good news. Jesus came to live the perfect life that we never could, fulfilling all of God's laws, so that by dying on a cross, he could take away all of our sins. Now, we trust in that message, that message which makes us wise for salvation. We can go out and confidently preach God's word, because we've seen the impact that it's had on our lives. Maybe at some point in your life, you've had the desire to build something with your hands. Maybe you've wanted to put together a bench to sit out by your fire pit. Maybe you want to build new cabinets for your house. Or maybe you just want to put together that dresser that you ordered from Ikea. You know, the one with the adult-sized book set of instructions. Have you ever tried to do one of these projects without using the manual? Things may not have gone as you'd planned. Sure, maybe what you constructed roughly resembled a dresser, though it might have been a bit wobbly. The drawers might have been a bit squeaky. God has left us with a set of instructions. God has given us the Bible to follow, though many don't enjoy or accept the message of God's word. They don't see its benefit for their lives. They view its message as foolishness. But we're called to accurately preach 
God's word regardless. Sometimes people don't always know what's best for them. Sometimes it's beneficial not to give a person what they want. If someone came to you and wanted you to put together their Ikea dresser, but they wanted you to do it so that it only had three legs and it was wobbly and the drawers were facing the wrong direction, you wouldn't listen to them. You understand that wouldn't be beneficial for them. Some want us to speak a message from God's word that isn't fully accurate. They might want a message that just makes them feel good or a message that allows them to continue on their sinful lifestyle. Jesus, he came preaching a perfectly accurate message. In our gospel lesson, the people of Capernaum wanted Jesus to stay and continue to preach, but we know that often wasn't the case. Many times in his ministry, Jesus was pushed out of towns. People threatened to kill him over the message he was speaking. But he continued to preach it because it was the truth. This was a message about salvation, a message that all people need to hear, a message about a Savior coming to die for sins. Some don't appreciate that message. Sometimes there's the temptation for us to not preach a fully accurate message from the Bible. It can be difficult talking about sin. Sin makes us feel warped and wicked. It shows us our our need for a Savior, and that's not always a message that we're comfortable speaking. But if we want to speak accurately about our salvation, we need to speak accurately about sin. We have a Savior who came to forgive us for all of our wrongdoings. We speak accurately about sin so we can speak accurately and confidently about our Savior Jesus who came to take away all of our sins by giving up his life on the cross. Many have said, patience is a virtue. Well, then it's pretty difficult to be virtuous. During my time at the seminary, I spent two years working at a child care Children already have been known to test one's patience, but add to that the the demands of a northern winter, and your patience can really be pushed to the limits. Each day we'd have to get the children ready to go outside. So in the winter time, we'd have to put on their winter coats, their snow boots, hats, gloves, mittens. This was a process that required a great deal of patience. There was always the temptation to quickly put the children's uh, snow gear on for them. That would have been a lot faster. But you couldn't do that. You had to patiently wait, teaching them slowly so that they could improve at getting on the snow gear for themselves. And by the end, they pretty well had it down. Sometimes our personal walk of faith takes patience as well. We continually read God's word and we come to Bible studies, we pray. Sometimes it still feels like we're just spinning our spiritual tires in the mud. But we can be confident that God's word is working in our lives. God said in Isaiah 55, My word goes out from my mouth and it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We patiently continue to read the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make us wise for salvation. And we trust that God will continue to make us grow. 
telling other people about Jesus also requires patience. We wish sometimes that Rome was built in a day, but we know it often isn't. It would be nice if we could build up the courage and confidently speak about God's word accurately one time in one spiritual conversation and see an instant conversion to the faith and praise God when that happens. And praise God when things take a little more time. We can be confident that God's word is working in people's lives. Timothy was given this urge, and this is what we have received also. We know that we are given the task to speak the gospel by Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And Christ Jesus, he's got things under control. We're told... But, keep, but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. There's no call to win X number of converts. Just be faithful, preach the word. That's something that anyone can do. A child can preach the word. Someone whose strength feels like it's failing can preach the word. A busy, stressed-out adult can preach the word. Christians, confidently put on your spiritual preaching caps as you confidently, accurately, and patiently preach God's word. We know that by doing so, we're not doing it only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the one who's given us the words which make us wise for salvation through faith. We preach the word for our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We join together to confess our faith according to the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father... You may be seated. At this time, we now collect our offering, our gifts of prayer and praise to our Father as we show him the, the, the gracious gifts that we're bringing to him.
At this time, we're also passing out our friendship registers. Please fill out your information accurately in those so that we can continue to do what we've been called to do here at Abiding Grace, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Lord Almighty, you have given us the message that is able to make us wise for salvation. Help us to confidently proclaim that message in fullness and truth to those in our lives. Give us the strength to speak about you as we face temptation from both within and without to proclaim a different message. 